Although life is a collection of experiences, some are repeatable and some are not. In Genesis 48, we enter into one of those unrepeatable experiences as Jacob begins to say goodbye to this world. For the Lord is our defense, yes, to defend us. For the Lord is our defense, yes, to defend us. For the Lord is our defense, yes, to defend us. For the Lord is our defense, yes, to defend Now, in reading the opening seven verses, it's not uncommon to find among the elderly a sense that the past seems more vivid than the present. And we can see something of that in Jacob as he begins to recall old memories. But he's not just doing that. This is more than an old man reminiscing. In fact, what we see here is Jacob is preparing to adopt the two sons of Joseph. He says in verse 3, quote, They shall be mine. Now, different ideas may be given as to the motivation for this, but it appears to me that between the folly of Reuben and Simeon, as well as Jacob's particular and special love for Rachel, whom he mentions in verse 7, Jacob viewed Joseph now as the firstborn son with the right to the firstborn birthright, meaning double inheritance. And this double inheritance is to be divided between Joseph's two sons. Now, in the middle of this, Jacob's mind returns to Bethel. Now, many think he refers to the events of Genesis 28, but I think it's more likely he's referring to Genesis 35, verse 9 and following. It states there explicitly that God blessed Jacob, just as it does here in Genesis 48, verse 3. And it is also around the time of Rachel's death, which is mentioned here in this chapter as well. Whatever the case, Jacob's intention is to bring Joseph's sons, who really knew nothing but life in Egypt, into a greater sense of their right to the covenant blessings. Now, we shouldn't forget, they're young men by this stage, they're not little boys, and both Jacob and Joseph, I would say, I think we can say with confidence, they're burdened for their souls. In verses 8 through 16, the language, quote, who are these, seems strange, but it's not to be read as like an inquiry from a place of ignorance, obviously. This is language similar to what we might find in a formal wedding ceremony. In such cases, it will be asked, who gives this woman to be married to this man? Now, such a question has an obvious answer, and probably everyone in the room can answer it. But in a formal or legal setting before witnesses, obvious questions and answers must be presented for the record. And that's what you have here. So Joseph then brings his sons to Jacob at his request, and Jacob then places his right hand on the youngest and his left hand on the oldest and blesses them. In so doing, he signifies his adoption of them by saying, quote, Let my name be named on them. Now, this action obviously results in there now being 13 tribes from Jacob. But one of them, Levi, will not be given a land inheritance, meaning Israel will still be divided between 12 tribes. But what I find fascinating is that when you read Hebrews 11 verse 21, the Holy Spirit has chosen this scene to best reflect Jacob's faith. Now, I don't think this is the scene I would have chosen. I'm not sure about you, maybe wrestling with the angel. I'm not, I don't know. But, but this is the one where the Holy Spirit summarizes the life of faith lived by Jacob. If you note verses 15 and 16, you'll see that 
Jacob shows that the one he believes in is A, the God of successive generations, B, the God which shepherds his people, and C, the God which saves sinners. And so in verse 17 through 22, Jacob reflects concern for Joseph as well. And he wishes to, I think, strengthen his faith. He gives him a special portion of land so that Joseph feels his tie to Canaan. In fact, the word portion in verse 22 is literally Shechem and would become not just the place where Joseph would be buried by Joshua, but the place where our Lord Jesus Christ would extend his saving grace to a Samaritan woman in John 4. And so we come to application 1. Believers should not be hesitant to visit the dying. With the discovery that his father had taken ill, Joseph immediately sets aside every other responsibility and grabs his two sons and takes them to see Jacob. Now, death is one of the strongest reminders of man's need for redemption, and we, we shouldn't run away from it. You should put yourself in its presence when you can, not only for the comfort of the dying, but also for the instruction of your own soul. Don't miss those opportunities. Two, parents must prioritize the spiritual needs of their children. Joseph's desire for his sons to be in the presence of Jacob and his submission to Jacob in the adoption indicate, it would seem to me, that he desired more for his sons than mere material prosperity. There's no doubt his sons had access to the best education in the world and that prestigious opportunities lay before them because of their connection to Joseph. But Joseph wants them to identify with the covenant family and God's promises rather than the treasures of Egypt. Now, think for a moment. This would have been of great comfort to Moses and instructive to him, who also had to make a choice whether to suffer affliction with the people of God or to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Parents, if I may, just ask you what your aspirations are for your children. I mean, are you genuinely helping them to understand the importance of Christ and knowing him? loving as people, embracing the promises of God? Does your life teach them to love God's kingdom? These are important questions, and I trust we can answer them as we ought. Three, believers should recognize tokens of God's faithfulness. Jacob's reflections reveal, at least to me, a spirit of gratitude. For example, in verse 11, he remarks on the mercy shown to him that he was not merely permitted to see Joseph again, but his children also. I think this is instructive because if you're discouraged, the chances are you're not really counting your blessings. And I would suggest to you that you pray God will give you the sight necessary to see his hand of mercy every day and to live your life, if we can put it this way, surprised by grace. Four, the love of adoption is uniform, but gifting is distinct. Jacob adopts Ephraim and Manasseh, I've no doubt in my mind whatsoever, with the same level of love. But the blessing which indicated God's plan for them is entirely distinct. And so it is in the gospel. God loves and adopts sinners with perfect equality because each is in union with Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.26 says, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. But nevertheless, God has different purposes for every one of his children. And so he gifts them differently and works through them differently. And at times, 
we may find that we resent this. If you feel like you've been shortchanged, <laughs> it's likely that you have greater service to do in the kingdom than you realize. I mean, that's been my personal experience. But, but even if your assessment is correct, there's a peculiar danger Jesus warned us against. You remember in the parable of the talents, it was the person with one talent who buried it in the ground rather than making use of it and came under judgment. So I trust we'll not be so foolish. Give to God your five loaves and two fishes and seek the fullness of the Holy Spirit. That's the key. And God will, more than likely, do more through you and your life than you might ever have imagined. It all comes down to the power of God in your life. Five, God does not act according to the wisdom of this world. Joseph could not understand why his father would cross his hands when blessing his sons. And similarly, we should struggle to understand why our father in heaven would, as it were, cross his hands in our case. As he imputes our sins on the head of our older brother and imputes the blessing of our older brother upon us. This is what happens in the gospel. My sins laid on Christ and his righteousness credited to me. Bless God. Bless God for the doctrine of counter-imputation. We would never have planned it so that Christ would credit all the value and merit of himself to us and he would take all the judgment upon him. And finally, God's presence is our comfort when loved ones die. Jacob reassures Joseph, quote, Behold, I die, but God shall be with you. At some point, our most treasured relationships on this earth will be halted by death. And perhaps you're struggling with that thought, the thought of losing a loved one. My friend, you can't stop their departure, but you can equip yourself and know that God shall be with you. Make sure you're clothed with the victory of the gospel. It is only in Christ where death is made to blossom into life and where suffering is crowned with glory. Trust in your King and he will take care of the rest. <laughs>